You're listening to the New Hope Church podcast. To learn more about what we're doing on the south side of Indianapolis, you can check us out online at becomehope.com. If you like what you're hearing here, be sure you check out one of our companion podcasts. We have a daily devotional podcast called Let's Find Out Together, as well as an apologetics podcast called Salty Saints. Let's listen in as today's talk comes from Randy Spate. Great to have you here this morning. Uh, my name is Randy. I'm one of the pastors here at New Hope. Today we start a new sermon series. Now, um, we uh, are going to go back to the Old Testament. The new sermon series is based on the life of Joseph. And you can look at that and say, what in the world is going on? Well, that guy's just been handed a lemon. Now he's got to decide what he's going to do with it. Joseph, throughout his life, was handed lemon after lemon after lemon. Of course, the old saying is, life gives you lemon, make lemonade, right? So the story of Joseph is actually the story of Joseph's lemonade stand because it seems like that's all that he ever got. Now, what can a life that was lived 4,000 years ago say to us today? 4,000 years, that's a long, long time. You know what else was happening in the world 4,000 years ago? We are in the middle of the Bronze Age. So think about that. It means we have some, some more durable tools some better, sharper weapons. All of that is is great, but it's the Bronze Age. Stonehenge is nearing completion, but it is not fully finished yet, 4,000 years ago. 4,000 years ago, the last woolly mammoth dies, making the species extinct. Think about that. That's a long time. In China, we're in the middle of the first dynasty, the Shah dynasty. They're expanding the borders of China. But over, over and beyond all of these things, maybe the most important thing that happened 4,000 years ago, somewhere in the southern part of Mexico or in Guatemala, Chocolate is born. They uh, figured out how to use cocoa powder. They considered chocolate to be a gift from the god Quetzalcoatl. Why in the world do we study the life of a fellow that lived 4,000 years ago? Because you know what? Situations change. People don't. As we work our way through the story of Joseph, I'm going to bet that you find a couple of things that you say, oh yeah, (laughs) oh yeah, I, I see that, I get that, I'm living through that. So the story of Joseph, it starts, uh, really all the way back in Genesis 29 and 30. And we have the story of Joseph's father, Jacob. Jacob went to live in a distant land. 
he met a young girl that he fell in love with. Her name was, was Rachel. And so he arranged with her father to be married to her. He went through the marriage ceremony. And lo and behold, he married not Rachel, but Rachel's sister, Leah. He wasn't super excited about that. But uh, he talked to her dad and said, well, give me Rachel and I'll serve you another seven years. So they did. Genesis 29 and 30 is the story of the birth of 11 of Jacob's sons. First of all, Leah, the wife that he really didn't want, gives him four sons, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah. Now, Rachel has no children. So she figures something's wrong, and it must be wrong with her because Jacob is having children with Leah. So she goes to Jacob and says, here's my servant girl. Give me children through her. And sure enough, through Bilcha, Rachel's servant, Dan and Naphtali are born. Now, Leah hasn't had any more kids. She looks at what Rachel's done, so she goes to Jacob and says, well, here's my servant girl, Zilpah. And we have Gad and Asher. I look at this and I look at Jacob and I say, dude, what in the world are you doing? Are you nuts or what? Well, after uh, Zilpah, we have uh, actually two more children born from Leah, Issachar and Zebulun. And then finally, Rachel has two children, Joseph who comes in chapter 30, and Benjamin, who comes several chapters later. The point is this. Jacob loved Rachel. And so he had a very special relationship with Rachel's sons, with Joseph, the first of those. We come to chapter 37, starting in, Joshua, in uh, Genesis chapter 37, we have the story really of Joseph. And it begins when Joseph was 17 years old. He often tended his father's flocks. Now he worked for his half-brothers, the ones of his father's wives, Bilhah and Zilpah. So Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher, Joseph was working for them, and he was doing uh, okay. Things were progressing. He was kind of learning the ropes of what it meant to be a shepherd and to take care of sheep. And then this happened. Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things that his brothers were doing. Literally says, Joseph gave a bad report to his father about his brothers. A bad report. You know, that word only occurs 11 times in the Old Testament. Three of the times, it's talking about the spies, the scouts 
that came back from Palestine when Joshua, centuries later, sends them into Palestine to scout out the land. They come back with a bad report. Now, were there bad things in Palestine? Actually, no, there were not. There were very good things in Palestine. It was a land that flowed with milk and honey, but they gave a bad report. They slanted the perspective of what was going on. Now, that's three times of the 14 times the word occurs in the Old Testament, or the 11 times it occurs in the Old Testament. The other seven times, this word is translated by the word gossip or the word slander. The point is this. Joseph's brothers were not necessarily doing bad things. It was just that Joseph slanted things and gossiped about them to their father. And he bought it. And what's more, he liked it. He liked hearing a bad report about his other sons. Joseph ratted out his brothers. And daddy liked it. As a matter of fact, Daddy rewards Joseph for the bad report. Very next verse. Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age and born by Rachel, the wife that he really loved. So one day Jacob made a special gift for Joseph, a beautiful robe. Now this is the translation in New Living Translation. The fact is, we don't really know what the word that modifies robe means. The older translations say it was a many-colored robe. It was a rainbow robe. Newer translations say it was a, lobe, a robe with long sleeves. New Living Translations just says it's a beautiful robe. One thing is certain. Joseph is not supposed to work in that robe. This is his foreman's badge. Daddy likes Joseph best. And to make sure his brothers understand that, he gives them a robe that he is not supposed to work in. He's exempt from the hard work that his brothers were doing. Instead, Joseph... Now, at 17 years old, is in charge. He gets to go to the fields and tell his brothers what they're supposed to do. So how did the brothers respond? Well, his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them. They couldn't say a kind word to him. So we look at what's going on and we see that things are kind of tough in this family. The family is not an ideal family. Not at all. There's problems here. And then things get worse. 
One night, Joseph had a dream. When he told his brothers about it, they hated him more than ever. Listen to this dream, he said. We're out in the field tying up bundles of grain, and suddenly my bundle stood up, and your bundles all gathered around and bowed before my bundle. <laughs> Man, I tell you, if I had a dream like that, I would not tell my brother about it because he was bigger than I was. But Joseph does. His brothers hated him all the more because of, of the dream and the way he talked about them. Then he has another dream. Now, this time, he told his brothers about it. He said, look, I had another dream. The sun, the moon, and 11 stars bowed low before me. And he tells his mom and dad about it too. And his dad actually scolds him. He says, what kind of a dream is that? But his dad continued to think about it. Now, while his brothers were jealous of Joseph, his father wondered what the dreams meant. Okay, so we begin to see what Joseph is doing, how the brothers are responding, and we're kind of figuring out, okay, I see where this is going. Sure enough, one day his brothers have a chance. Now, his dad goes to Joseph and he says, go and see how your brothers and how the flocks are getting along. Then come back and bring me a report. <laughs> go tell on them again. Go check them out. Come back and let me know what's really going on. Uh, they were pretty far away. They were at least a day's journey away. And Joseph goes looking for him. He eventually finds them. And when they see him coming, they say, here comes the dreamer. Come on, let's kill him. Let's throw him into one of these cisterns. We can tell our father that a wild animal is eating him. Then we'll see what happens to his dreams. Now, the oldest, Reuben, he convinces them not to kill him, just throw him in one of the pits. We'll let him die down there of starvation. And they say, okay, okay. But Reuben is secretly planning to go back later and rescue him because he really doesn't want to kill Joseph. So the brothers take him. They tear off his robe. They throw him in the pit. And Reuben leaves. While Reuben is away, there's a caravan that's going by. It's going from Babylon to Egypt. Those were the two big powers of the day. And there was trade back and forth between them. Caravans would go by carrying merchandise to sell. Caravan came by, and one of the brothers has the great idea. I think it's Judah. Hey, there's a caravan. Let's make some money. We don't have to sell them. Or we don't have to kill them. 
We can sell him. We'll sell him as a slave. And that's what they do. Reuben comes back later and he says, where's Joseph? They tell him what he's done and Reuben's just heartbroken. They're not sure what to do, but they take the coat, they kill an animal, they dip the, the, the robe in the blood of the animal. And then they go back to daddy and they show him the blood-soaked robe. They don't even have to lie to Jacob. Jacob looks at it and he says, my son, my son, that's Joseph's coat. He's been killed. Some wild animal has eaten him. And he mourned Joseph for years. Now, today that's all the farther that we're going in the story of Joseph. We'll pick it up later next week. We're going to look at Joseph uh, in, in Egypt where he is now living as a slave. What in the world can we learn from this story? It sounds so foreign. Or is it? I see two things in the, in the story. First thing that I see Parental favoritism. You know what parental favoritism is? It's when mom or dad likes one of the kids more than the others, and everybody knows it. Parental favoritism. Is that a thing today? Well, when I was growing up, these two fellows talked about parental favoritism. Tommy and Dickie Smothers. Do you remember them? Part of their comedy shtick was Tommy would say, Mom liked you best. <laughs> you got a puppy for your birthday. I got a chicken. <laughs> now, if you've never heard of Tommy and Dick's mothers, go to YouTube, look them up. They're hilarious. And this is a big part. I, I almost guarantee you that one of the YouTube videos is going to be Mom liked you best. Because that resonates with us. We hear that and we think, huh, yeah, maybe I was the favored child or maybe it was somebody else. But it's not just Tom and Dickie Smothers. There's these guys. There's, there's Thor and Loki, <laughs> right? The Marvel Universe. The universe is almost destroyed because Daddy liked Thor better than he liked Loki. <laughs> or Nebula and Gamora. Again, the universe is destroyed because Thanos prefers Gamora over Nebula. It doesn't have to be fictional characters. We've got John and Jim. <laughs> John and Jim Harbaugh, and I don't know which one was the preferred son, but I do know that in Super Bowl 47, they faced off. And the two times that they faced off as head coaches, John came out on top. Then, since we're talking football, of course, we have Peyton and Eli. Every Monday night in football season, you can tune in and watch Peyton and Eli go after each other when we all know that actually Cooper was the favorite. <laughs> Parental favoritism. You know what? It hurts. It can cause damage. Now, I looked, and it's really hard to get statistics 
on parental favoritism because by and large, it's a perception. If uh, mom and dad have three kids, two of the kids kind of automatically think that the third is the favorite. But was there a favorite? You know, who knows? It's hard to say, but some of the things that can happen, anger, jealousy, we see that in the passage we were looking out. Joseph was the favored son, very obviously. And as a result, his brothers hated him. They were jealous of him. It can cause depression. It can cause anxiety. Low self-esteem from the child that's kind of held back. They can distance themselves from their siblings. They can distance themselves from the parents. For the favored child, they may feel entitlement. Not only mom and dad like me best, the world should like me best. So what do we do? What do we do? There are two aspects to this. First of all, if we are parenting, avoid even the impression of favoritism. Don't compare your children to each other. Accept them for who they are. Help each one individually. Make time with each child. I was looking up, you know, John Wesley and Charles Wesley had a pretty amazing mother. Her name was Susanna. She was the 25th of 25 children. And she had herself 16 children. Every day she made sure that she spent time with each child individually. Now, it wouldn't have been very much, but it was enough that each child knew that they were loved by their mother. Celebrate your children's uniqueness. Don't compare them with each other. Just accept them for who they are. Celebrate their uniqueness. And when your kids fight, never become the judge. Never become an arbiter. Help them work out their disagreements with each other. The minute that you step in and take sides with one or the other, whether you intend to or not, you're favoring. But what if we're grown and we live in the light of parental favoritism? Maybe we were the favorite. Maybe we weren't. Well, I just recommend that you talk to your parents about it. Confront. Let them know your perception if there's anything you need to confess, confess and be open to forgiving. You can't go back and change the past. You can change the future. Parental favoritism is not the only issue that's here. We look at Joseph's actions too. Now he was 17 years old. He was still growing up, but he did some pretty stupid things. First thing we see is that he gossiped. He gave his father a bad report about his brothers. He went and he ratted them out. We're not even sure if they did anything bad. But Joseph sure presented it that way, didn't he? We see Joseph bragging. When his father gives him the coat of many colors, 
the long sleeve coat, the beautiful robe, he wears it. He takes full advantage. He takes advantage of his brothers at 17 by playing the role of the foreman, the boss. What should he have done? You know, in the New Testament, Paul actually talks about this. Colossians chapter 3 says, Since God chose you to be the holy people that he loves, you must clothe yourselves. And look at the things that he mentions compared to what Joseph did. Clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, with kindness, with humility, with gentleness, with patience. Make allowance for each other's faults. Forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you. You must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. What if Joseph would have acted that way? I think his story would have been very different. We can kind of summarize these ideas. I'd do it this way. I'd say, first of all, as you deal with other people, seek to be interested, not interesting. Don't worry about telling them your story. Listen to their story. Be interested in them. Be understanding, not understood. It's our natural propensity to want other people to understand us. Well, make sure that you understand before you seek to be understood. Be caring, not cared for. The bottom line of all of this, focus on others. Don't worry about focusing on yourself. Focus on them. I guess what we're trying to say here is if we really want to live, love, and go like Jesus, we need to take care of how we treat people. This is important. People perceive us by the way we treat them, but they also have a chance to see God in the way we treat them. So let's care for them, understand them. Let's be interested in them instead of focusing on ourselves. Thanks for tuning in to the New Hope Church podcast. If you would do us a favor and like or subscribe on your favorite platform, we would really appreciate it. Also, if you happen to have any questions, feel free to reach out to us at questions at becomehope.com. Have a great week and know that we are praying for you as you seek to be Jesus in every corner of your world.